to the GBC Sermon Podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. This message from our Sunday church service is part of the resources we provide as we seek to see lives changed by Jesus. You could also listen to our Big Three podcast, a conversation that unpacks three big questions raised from sermons like this one. You can find more information about Gaimia Baptist Church as well as discipleship resources and an opportunity to join us in person or online on our website, gaimiabaptist.org.au. I said, though, that uh, we do have a special guest this morning, Scott Morrison, a friend of mine and colleague. Uh, I'm going to invite Scott onto the platform and uh, I'm going to introduce you to him a little bit. So, uh, Scott, welcome. G'day, Mark. Good to see you, mate. <laughs> it's good to have you here. It's, it's always odd having another pastor in your church, so just be on your best behavior. <laughs> Why? <laughs> just, just do. <laughs> no, no, but it's great to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Well, um, so yes, Scott Morrison is my name. <laughs> I'm married to Jody. We have three kids. Um, one has just left high school. One is in year 11, and one is in year 8. And uh, yeah, so we've been married for 30 years this year. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And how long have you been at George's River? Pretty well all, most of my life, to be honest. I, I started officially in the year 2000, so we're about 25 years in now. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, tell us, I've, I've asked Cara and Andrew, our other guests, wh- what would you say is your vocation these days? Well, my vocation, and obviously this has been the, the topic of this series, uh, is very much father, uh, husband, son. Uh, I work in the context of my local church and love the work that I've been called to in my local church, uh, serving that place, but also in the last few years, a real sense of vocational call beyond the local church, serving churches right across the country, running a pilot with 17 churches all around the country around this whole space of faith, work, and vocation. And you're doing some study as well? Yeah, just on the side, we're doing, um, doing, trying to add a little bit of robustness to the work that we're doing with those churches. Uh, so there's some research taking place with churches like Gaimia as, uh, as we explore how do you best help a church move from one place to the next in terms of their thinking around what I call vocationally integrated discipleship. So yeah, it's really exciting to work with churches around that. And the study just helps me make sure I do it properly. Right. So tell us a little bit more about the pilot. So like uh, for those of you who are gathered here, both online and on site, you probably heard me talk about the pilot a couple of times over the last six to seven months. Uh, we've been, we participated in a summit in Melbourne last year, uh, Grant Nelson and I, Rachel Turner has joined our group as well. And we're just kind of thinking through how we can do some of that vocationally integrated discipleship stuff. Tell us a little bit more about the pilot. What's going really well with it and what's exciting you about it? I think what's exciting me is we're now starting to see some fruit. So we've got, like I said, 17 churches uh, across about six denominations. We've got some rural churches. We've got some, some older, more established churches. We've got some new church plants, some ethnic churches, even Tasmanian churches. So we've, we've got, we've got the, the full gamut. And uh, working with those churches all in different contexts, the, the enjoyable thing is is helping people to think in their context, to understand the nature of their own space and to look at what are the, um, what's their theology and what's their practice, and is there a variation between their theology, what they say, and their practice, what they do, in relation to how we think well about uh, people's workspace and about this massive part of your life, which is your, your work life. Uh, and I think the exciting thing is to see the lights come on for people, to see people, as I'm sure some of you have in this series, start to make that connection that actually we're all in full-time ministry, 
Full-time ministry isn't just the people that work inside churches. Every single one of us is called to a life of vocation, and that can look like so many different things. But uh, when you see people start to get that, it gives a real dignity to what they do, and it helps them to, to, um, to reframe work in a different light. So I really enjoy the stories that are coming from churches and from the marketplace leaders in those churches. So every pilot has a senior pastor like Mark and two marketplace people uh, like Grant and Rachel. The beauty of that is having that interaction so that sometimes the senior pastor can be in a little bit of a bubble of this workspace and to bring in marketplace people really helps them to gain some perspective on what's actually going on outside of the context of this workplace in the broader workplace. So seeing the lights come on there is pretty great. So what got you interested in this space in the first place? Like what was it that you, that you kind of stopped and I need to do some more thinking about faith and work and vocation? Well, it's a bit of a longer story, but um, I, I've had a bit of a vocational crisis myself. So I came out of banking and finance, uh, it felt the call of God into ministry. <laughs> so I went into ministry inside the church, which was wonderful and still consider that to be a wonderful privilege. About 18 years in, about 2018, I started to have a bit of a vocational crisis. Started wondering, what are we actually doing? What are we making? What does it mean to be a minister inside the church? And that, I think that continued through the COVID years and then out the other side where I, I, I really had a crisis of saying, what does it mean to lead in the context of a church? Um, so I think I'm still rolling through the implications of having to rethink so many things about what ministry is and to broaden that, that scope of ministry to realize that vocation is much more broad than just the work that you do. So in the kind of those five or six years that you've been really grappling with it, wrestling with it, you're doing study now, you're yeah. doing this pilot, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's kind of feeding your kind of understanding of this. Has there been one particular area um, that's really surprised you, or is there an area that uh, is becoming more and more important to you? Is there one thing that yeah. you could go back to, you know, you in 2018 and say, don't worry about that stuff, worry about this thing? What, what, what's, uh, I, what's I, the there's just so many thoughts around this space, so it's really hard to still organize them, to be honest. But um, I, I think I realized just how big the sacred-secular divide is in the church, and it's, I think I inherited it. I came out of Bible college inheriting uh, a real sacred-secular divide. I think it was, it was something I inherited in the church that I became a part of, and it's something that I perpetuated. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of unlearning that's required in that space. Um, and will continue to do so. And I think it actually impacts every part of the church. When you begin to think this through, it impacts what we do here on a Sunday. It impacts how we want to work with people throughout the whole of their week. So I, I think I'm wrestling with things like youth ministry actually should be the place where we start talking about vocation. We should start helping people understand that God's called them to a life of purpose. What does it mean to help young people discover and discern vocation well. Uh, young people who enter into that first decade of work, work is such a powerful context, such a powerful environment. Uh, it can be so formative. How do you navigate those years well? And then for many of you who may be at the other end of uh, what you might call your work life, maybe you're in a, a more of a retirement stage of life, what does it mean for you? Because I think often we check out at that point. We think, well, I've kind of done my work. But actually, the, <laughs> this is probably the most creative, most wonderful opportunity in terms of repurposing your life uh, in the later stages of your life, to really live called, to really live aligned to God's 
planned for, for you, to do good work in you and through you. So I'm excited about seeing how you can actually help all the different stages of life wrestle with and move into a life of greater vocational integration. You can see why I asked him to come and speak on this. He's a little passionate about it, which is great. I've asked Scott to kind of help us kind of see where God is at work in our workplaces uh, and really looking forward to what he's going to share with us. So would you just thank Scott for being here this morning? The Bible reading this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3, picking up at verse 12 and reading down to 24. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So I bring greetings from Georgia's River Life Church over in Peakhurst. Yes, uh, I know um, Cara came from the North Shore and Andrew came uh, all the way from Newcastle. <laughs> well, I've come all the way from Illawong, so <laughs> nice and local. Uh, it's, it's great to be with you. Uh, what, a, what a privilege it is to, um, to be invited. Mark, thank you for inviting me. I went to Mark's the other night for dinner with, uh, with Jody, which was lovely, apart from the fact that he gave me the wrong address. <laughs> so, <laughs> some people 10 doors down, which is really weird when you take a bottle of wine to some people's place and they say, who are you? <laughs> uh, so yeah, living in Illawong, uh, if you know Illawong, it's a suburb full of really long driveways. Uh, well, at least some people have long, crazy driveways. We have a long, crazy driveway. It's about 120 meters long. It's really steep. And uh, it's, it's great if you don't want anyone to come and visit. But it's not so great if you want to get your rubbish bins to the top of the street. So you may have heard, I'm not sure if you heard this story, but basically, uh, 
for the last 10 years, I've been living in Illawong, and because it's so difficult to get your rubbish bins to the top, what people in Illawong do is that they have a tow ball on the back of their car, and, and they tie their rubbish bin to the back of their car, and then they drive to the top of their crazy driveway where they leave their rubbish bin. And I've often thought for the last decade, wouldn't you feel like an idiot if you t tied your bin to the back of the car and you drove to the top of the drive and then you just kept driving? <laughs> and you drove, you know. And so you'd feel so silly if you did that. Well, last year, that's what I did. <laughs> I had a full red bin connected to the back of the car, and I got to the top of the drive. I was distracted, maybe I was praising Jesus, I'm not <laughs> sure what I was doing. But I just kept driving, and I drove out of Illawong, all the way out of Illawong, up onto Alfreds Point Road, then down across Alfreds Point Bridge at 80 kilometers per hour, <laughs> with my red bin on the back of the car. I drove all the way up, and then down across Salt Pan uh, uh, Bridge, and then up the other side through several sets of lights, turn right, into Boundary Road, then right again into Stanley Street, where George's River Life Church is, and then turned right again into the car park of, of Charlie Lovett's Cafe, where I then stopped, got out of the car, and walked around the back and realized that the rubbish bin was still on the back of the car, which is a very embarrassing thing to do. This is why I'm sharing with you my uh, moment of, um, of, uh, of forgetfulness. And uh, what do you do when you've got a full rubbish bin on the back of your car and you've crossed over five suburbs and 14 kilometers, well, you just turn around and you drive it back home again. So I drove the bin home just praying to Jesus that uh, the police didn't pull me over for driving an unregistered auto bin. <laughs> that thing went really well, I've got to say. It, it actually handles really well, but yeah, I don't recommend it. The little, uh, the little exercise of, uh, of forgetfulness, actually God taught me three things about that. Firstly, that sometimes in life, uh, we completely forget what we set out to do. And I think that in ministry, I, I hit a point where I'd completely forgotten what I'd set out to do, why I got into ministry in a local church in the first place. The second thing, uh, sometimes we just miss the signs. So as I was driving across Alvin's Point Bridge, this guy in a white high ace pulled up next to me and was doing this to me. <laughs> And I'm going, what's your problem, buddy? <laughs> so sometimes we just miss the signs that actually people are trying to tell us something that we need to see. I remember a, a gentleman in my church years ago who came up to me and said, you know, you invite me to your workplace every Sunday, but I'd like to invite you to mine. I never went and saw him. Because so often we're very focused on what we do inside of the church. And, uh, and so that was a sign that maybe I wasn't looking clearly at what was going on. And the third thing that I learned from that little moment is that um, sometimes in life we can carry around a whole lot of rubbish <laughs> that we're not meant to be carrying. And for me, some of that rubbish was this whole thinking around what's sacred and what's secular and what is holy to God and what is not. And I actually came to the realization, actually during, while I was writing some of the work that I'm doing in my thesis, that uh, it took me 18 years to realize that my job was just as ordained and just as special as your job. And your job was just as ordained and special to God as my job. Because I'd lived with this thought that, well, what we do inside the church is what God's really caring about. So this whole theme that we're talking about here in vocation, hopefully is, is starting to maybe change that uh, conversation. 
helping you realize that your work really matters. Now, uh, when we talk about work, just if you've just joined us this week or you haven't caught up on the last few weeks, remember this expansive vision of work that we're talking about. Uh, the, the, you know, as the pictures that I've got here remind us that work can take all different forms. It can take, it's not just about your paid job. When we're talking about work, it, it, it may be a profession or career or a job, but if I was just talking about those things, then many of you would be switching off at this point because you'd be saying, well, that doesn't relate to me. But actually, work takes every form, uh, and Cara gave a really good definition of vocation. My definition is all of the activities and the roles and the people and the context to which we feel called and inspired and enabled by God for the service of others and for the glory of God and for the greater good. And, and vocation very much is not about me. Vocation is very much about what God's called me to for the blessing of others. Or as John Beckett says, it's simply your part in God's story. What is your part in God's story? Now, have you ever noticed how often in the Bible God seems to interrupt or interact with people at work? If you put your kind of your work glasses on and read Scripture, you realize that everywhere there are people at work. And often God seems to want to talk to them when they're at work. Moses was tending Jethro's flock when confronted by God in a burning bush. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press when visited by the angel of the Lord. Uh, Elisha was plowing a field with 12 oxen uh, when Elijah was sent to him. Shepherds were watching flocks when, angel, when the angel announced the birth of Jesus. Peter, James, and John were tending their nets after a hard night's fishing when they met Jesus. Tax collectors, soldiers, people doing their daily work of collecting water, people doing daily chores, preparing meals. These tended to be the places where Jesus interacted with people. And so the more that you realize that God is usually meeting people in their daily life, in your ordinary, everyday activities like work. It's like God's not on standby mode when you leave here. That, that God doesn't say, well, I'll see you next Sunday. That God is with you wherever you go. As you get into your office or onto site, he's actively engaged with you in your work. In fact, you could say that God is at work when you're at work. You could say that your workplace is God's workplace. Wherever that is, God wants to co-labor with you. And uh, I think in two primary outcomes... So these two outcomes are how God wants to form you and how God wants to impact your world. These are the, the two things I want to talk briefly about this morning in the time that I've got. Uh, I want you to consider that before we think about anything that we're going to do for God, that first of all, your work is good. What, what is the good of your work? It is, that it is the place where God wants to form you. Uh, and he's concerned with how you will be shaped and changed by your workplace. Eugene Peterson, in his uh, book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, says, I am prepared to contend that the primary location for spiritual formation is the workplace. I wonder if you think about your work that way, that it's the primary location or one of the primary locations for your spiritual formation. Uh, my hunch is that we don't. My hunch is that we think that that's what church is for. Historically, that's what we've thought what church is for. Uh, and um, God is mostly active in the room here. 
rather than everywhere else. When all of life is actually, I think, God's unique curriculum for your formation and growth, all of life. So we talk about all of life discipleship. All of life is God's unique curriculum for your formation and for your growth. God takes all the ordinary stuff of your life, like your work life, plus the extraordinary moments of your life, like trouble and crisis and success and failure and opportunities, and he uses them all as ways to shape you, if you will let him. So maybe here today you're a very successful executive, Maybe you're, you know, they've got a gold club frequent flyer. Everyone's linked into kind of a person. Well, what is it the Lord wants to form in you in that place, in that context that you've been um, privileged to be in? Or at the other end, maybe your work has been very hard. Maybe you've had a toxic boss. Maybe you had a major setback in a strategic plan or a project that you were working on. Maybe work seems unrelenting, unappreciated, unremunerated. Maybe you've suffered boredom or a lack of meaning. Maybe you've faced a real ethical dilemma in your work. Maybe you've had a conflict with a colleague at work that just never seems to get resolved. Maybe you've made a major mistake that had a significant impact and significant consequences on your work life. Maybe you lost your edge, you lost your your inspiration or your courage, or maybe uh, you lost your job or maybe you were made redundant or you were dismissed. Now you could see all of those experiences that happen in the workplace as being a problem to solve or a devil to be defeated or an injustice to be righted and and they may be all of those things. But I wonder if you would reframe all of those things around your formation and how God redeems those things for greater purposes in terms of your growth Because I think that all of these sorts of experiences that we have in the workplace is a unique, one-of-a-kind invitation by God to learn and to grow and to become more like Jesus on the other side of it. Often we just see it in in a sense of defeat rather than a sense of formation of what God wants to do. So what is the good of your work? Why is this so important? Because work is where God wants to form you. I suspect that God may do more real-life formation in you, in your workplace, than he does in the church on a Sunday. This represents maybe 1% or 2% of your waking hours in the week. Your work, if you're a full-timer, is probably 50-plus percent of your week. So why would we not think that God is not at work there in us? Um, Colossians 3 reminds us as we read before, that Paul's vision of, of, of who we are already is holy and dearly loved people. It all takes place in the context of daily life. He talks about marriage. He talks about parenting. He talks about work. And these are our intentional contexts that are places that manifest intentional actions on our behalf and responses that we make in those contexts. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And whatever you do, 
whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul proceeds in this passage uh, to ground these wonderful virtues in daily life, in in the everyday of your life, in family life and in work life, something that we can all relate to. For this is where actually transformation that he's talking about is outworked. It's outworked in those spaces. Slaves obey your masters. Not just when you know, they're watching to curry favor with them, but when they're not watching because of something that's happening in your heart, because of a formation that's going on in that space. These are contexts for learning to clothe ourselves, to, to apply to our life virtues that express the way of Jesus, virtues that express the character of Jesus. So all of life is the curriculum for living into who you are already and becoming more like Jesus. And your work is a primary place for that. Your work is a primary place for God to form you. Uh, It's a loss when we view our work lives simply as toil or as a pay packet rather than see it as part of God's work of forming us. So that's the first, uh, I think, opportunity and gift that is in the goodness of work. The second thing of why, why work is good is that it's about impacting your world. Jesus um, wants to know, not only be Lord of your personal life, but Lord of your work life. The high calling that Paul says here is whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Now, the tendency here for us is to slip into this unconscious bias that I've mentioned several times of sacred secular thinking. Pastors do it, but everyone else does it as well too, I've discovered. We think, well, my work is useful to the Lord only if, like it's only really good if, well, maybe I'm in charge and I get to influence the culture. Or we think, well, it's only really good if the work is a Christian enterprise or you know, it's working in the church or for the church. Or we think that it's only good if it's, it's an ethical business doing something that's really Jesus-y. Or we think it's only really good if I'm making money to give to the church so that they can do what God really cares about. But Paul says, no, whatever you do, what do you do? Whatever you do. He's not limiting the usefulness or the goodness of our work to that narrow criteria. Whatever you do can be good work that God is doing through you. As I said earlier, we're all in full-time ministry. Every single one of us. To explain uh, what that might then look like in practical terms, in whatever it is that you do, let me give you five desirable attributes that are on the position description of a disciple doing whatever. Attribute number one, you're a settler for excellence. So uh, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. I really believe that God loves the detail and the heart behind the detail of the work that you're actually doing. Is there anything about uh, you know, the God who fashioned the creation that is mediocre? 
Is there anything about this created order that's, that's at all mediocre? It's magnificent. Is there anything in the design details of the tabernacle that says, well, whatever, near enough is good enough? God is a, God is a God of excellence and beauty and design. Doing your job well matters because you are created in God's image. Whether you create a finished product or you're just part of a long production line, you're part of the process. Whether you're a Macca's employee or a mechanic, whether you're a factory worker or you're a full-time student, uh, whether you're a pastry chef or a pilot, especially if you're a pilot, do it really well. Do your job really well. Do it like it's worship to God. Like just doing your work excellently is good work. It's work that honors God. Just do it really well. When God appointed a couple of tradies, Bezaliel and Ohiliab, to do the fit-out on the tabernacle, God added his spirit to their skills in order to create something excellent. And he does that with every single one of us. Right now in New South Wales, we, we have a 1,800 shortage of teachers. We need 1,800 excellent teachers, spirit-filled, excellent teachers. We need excellent engineers and builders and plumbers and accountants. We need excellent police officers and mechanics and carers and pastors and, and whatever. We need excellent whatevers. Whatever it is that you do, settle for excellence as a reflection of the creator and as an expression of love. Secondly, that we are to be displayers of Christ's character. Character always trumps competence. You might do that thing excellently that we just spoke of, but if you're a horrible person, <laughs> then no one will want to work with you and no one will probably want to buy what it is you're selling. Our character really matters in the how we do it. How we do what we do matters. How people experience us as followers of Jesus is so, so important. So let me give you some examples of the, how people experience you. Do people anticipate that you will operate from a moral or ethical foundation? when you work with them? Will, will you stick your neck out to speak up for someone who has no voice? Uh, will, will you be honest? Will you be authentic, but considered in your words and reactions? Do you enter into gossip in the workplace? Or do you steer the conversation another way? Do people experience you as a non-anxious presence at work? Do you come across as insecure, intimidated, or are you the intimidator? Do you cut corners? Do you throw others under the bus to look good? Can you, can you take other people's feedback and respond in a way that encourages them to keep giving it? Are you a servant leader? Are you a team player? Or are you an autocratic leader? All of these are parts of how we do good work, how we display Christ's character in the way that we work. And do you notice how in all of those things, how God doing that initial work in us, that formation work in us, will be so crucial to how people then experience us. So we are to be settlers for excellence. We are to be people who display Christ's character. Thirdly, we are to be builders of bridges. Um, you'll probably notice that in work life, most of the work that we do, um, we do with other people or for other people. And good work looks like being the relational glue in a workplace. 
Uh, and the person uh, who, in a sense, pastors others, you don't need the title pastor to pastor people in your workplace. So, for example, here, do you read the room well when you go into a meeting with others in your workplace? Are you an empathic colleague? Do, do you pick up on what's happening in other people's lives? Do people trust you? Will they seek your counsel? Are you a peacemaker when there's friction at work? Do you help people sort out their conflicts? Do you generate team unity? Or do you buy into factions? If your team did a 360 review on you, what would they say? Would they say that you display Christ's character? Would they say that you're the glue that really holds the team together? I think the stuff of relationships when it comes to the goodness of work is so essential. And as Christians, I reckon we've got an edge in this place. I reckon because our identity and our worth is not found in being powerful or popular or being successful or getting ahead of others. So immediately we've got this foundation for our lives in the gospel. Uh, Our security is not in the next paycheck or the next promotion. So I think we can be less anxious as followers of Jesus when our lives are grounded in the gospel. I think we can be more resilient with whatever it is that comes against us. And I think that we have slightly more insight into all the emotional and the social dynamic that can take place in any work environment because we've already been there because we're a part of a church. And in the context of a church, we we know what that's like to have a a group full of very diverse people from all different life stages and all different thoughts and ways of, of thinking and operating come together. One of the wonderful gifts of being in a church is that it's the ideal classroom for learning compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and forgiveness and hanging in there and bearing with each other rather than walking away from the problems and, and then to biblically process all of that and understand how, how the gospel undergirds the way that we would love one another. I think that we have in the church the most profound training and leadership environment for learning how it is that we actually then um, interact with anybody else because we're working on it all the time in the context of a church. That's a gift that I think most people don't get these days. And so we get to learn how to be the glue in this place. We get to learn how to be the glue in church and then in our wider spaces. Fourthly, we're a shaper of culture. We all have the good work to do of shaping culture in our workplaces. Culture is how an organization feels when you come into contact with it. It's how they do things. It's the values that it celebrates. And when culture is not carefully shaped, bad things happen. I'm not sure if you read the Boeing report that came out last week um, after several incidences with the 737 MAX. And fascinatingly, one of the major problems that they found in their safety record is, as they say, a hesitation in reporting safety concerns for fear of retaliation. Well, that's a cultural issue right there, and that can lead to lost lives. 
Culture can be a big problem, but it can also be a big solution. Um, so my other job that I, I spend a couple of days a week in for the past few years is in a team based in Melbourne. And this picture up here was just taken last Tuesday. Tuesday. This is uh, Stevie Wills. Stevie's a brilliant thinker. She's a writer, she's a performance poet. She also lives with cerebral palsy. So her body does not at all cooperate with her brilliant mind. Uh, we had a, a meeting last Tuesday, and we were going around the circle, and this is what Stevie said. She said, in our team, I don't feel like the token disability advocate. And she's worked in lots of spaces. She said, I feel like I'm one among equals, and because of that, I would never go back to being a token disabled person in an organization again. Part of that is a culture that was developed by the CEO of the organization, but part of it is just because everybody in the team made her feel that way. That's culture. And every member of the team, whether you're the top or the bottom of the, the, the hierarchy, gets to contribute to that. We all have a hand in creating and shaping culture. Um, so we're a settler for excellence, we're a displayer of Christ's character, we're a builder of bridges, we're a shaper of culture, and lastly, we are people who are a revealer of hope. As you do those things, I think you build vocational power, you build social capital, you build relational trust, and that makes you a thought-provoking presence in your workplace, no matter where you are in the pecking order which I think at just the right time will lead to giving a reason for the bigger story that undergirds your life. Now, I've placed this one last, revealer of hope, not because it's the least important, but I think it's the fruit of the others. I think when we put evangelism at the front of the queue here, uh, it usually doesn't go very well. But... When we see evangelism as the outcome of all of the others, it does. Of course, we want ultimately to see people understand the why behind our lives. But people will want to know the witness of your life before they might want you to witness of the gospel. So I think that as we are people who settle for excellence and display Christ's character and build bridges with them and shape culture, then they're actually going to they're going to say, well, what is it about you? <laughs> Where does this come from? Uh, th there are so many ways that you can take your whatever and see it as good work. Um, what Jesus wants to do in you, Jesus wants to do through you. You know, uh, in Luke 3, um, John is preaching, John the Baptist, and he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And the crowd says, what should we do then? And John answers, you know, if you've got two shirts and there's someone with no shirts, give them a shirt. And then tax collectors came to be baptized, and they say, teacher, what should we do then? And he says, don't collect any more than you're required to. And then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely, and be content with your pay. In the light of the gospel, in the light of the goodness of work, and that, that question, what should we do, is your question today. In the light of whatever it is you've been called to, what should we do? How do I then live out this call on my life in a way that is good, good work? You, don't, you, you can find that out. That's part of your takeaway from this. Uh, yesterday, Alexei Navalny was buried. 
And uh, I don't know if you saw any of the, the news report about that. This Russian opposition leader was imprisoned for, um, and then killed for daring to oppose Putin. Navalny imagined his country being free of corruption and of coercion and control. He imagined a, a Russia with greater opportunity for all, but mostly a happy nation. He, he said that the greatest problem of the nation is that uh, we are in a vicious cycle of unhappiness that we can't escape from. What you may not have known about Alexei is that he was a Christian in his workplace. At his trial in 2021, Navalny said these words, I quote, the fact is that I am a Christian. I was once quite a militant atheist, but now I am a believer, and that helps me a lot in my activities because everything becomes much easier. I think about things less. There are fewer dilemmas in my life because there is a book which is more or less clearly written what action to take in every situation. It's not always easy to follow this book, of course, but I'm actually trying to. And so, as I said, it's easier for me, probably, than for others to engage in politics. Where did his bridge-building, culture-shaping love for his country come from? Where did this yearning for freedom and justice come from? Where did this ache for communities to be happy and for people to flourish come from? Well, I think it came from a deep desire for those things. But where does that deep desire come from? Who is shaping this former atheist's vision? I think the one that is shaping him is the one who looked over our broken, joyless, enslaved and corrupted world and with joyful determination to see it healed that he would suffer the injustice and the brutality and eventually the execution at the hands of the very ones that he came to save. Alexei, in some sense, was just being like Jesus, answering the call on his life, answering the, what should we do in light of the gospel, doing good work that would impact his part of the world. So friends, guy me abaps, in whatever it is that you do, whatever, do it for the glory of God. Do it not for yourself, but for others. Allow God to fill you with a vision for the activities of your life that are rich with purpose and meaning beyond yourself. God is forming you and inviting you to do the good work of a disciple. May you step into all of that good work. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the, um, the wonderful witness of scripture to the way that we have been called and saved into a life of meaning and purpose. That you have good work prepared in advance for each one of us to do. And that that work flows from the joy and the freedom and the life that comes in knowing Jesus. I pray that you, Jesus, would come and work in our hearts to help us ask that same question that the fruit of repentance in our lives looks like saying, what should we do? How should we live now in light of the gospel? How should we live uh, in all of the activities, whatever stage of life we are in, so that it brings glory to you and that it causes others to flourish? Help us to do your good work, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast. We hope you found inspiration and encouragement and God used this message to speak to you. 
If you want to connect more with GBC, you can follow us on social media or contact us via our website. You can also get to know some of the people from our church community through the We Are The Church podcast. Real stories of real people sharing how Jesus has shaped and transformed their life. We pray you experience the transforming power of Jesus in your life and pray that God blesses you today. Today.